Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. scripture involved in this but I'm not necessarily springboarded with a scripture amen tonight we're going to start a series here uh, this evening just going to be four weeks that's all uh, this Wednesday next Wednesday and then the first two Wednesdays of uh, of December rather the first two uh, Sundays or Wednesdays rather of December uh, and uh, then we'll, we'll continue on Amen with with other things whenever we get into the new year, because in actuality, I think for for me personally, I only have four more Wednesdays in this year with you all personally. All right. So uh, we're going to look into this for the next four Wednesdays. Me here. All right. Amen. And we're going to look at a series that I've entitled Nothing Ordinary and going to talk to you tonight about confronting commonness confronting commonness, nothing ordinary. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so thankful tonight, God, unto you. God, that you have given us the strength, Lord, the health, Lord, of our bodies. God, to be here tonight. God, we count it a privilege, Lord, to be able to come to the house of the Lord. God, we're appreciative tonight, Lord Jesus, for those, Lord, who have made way to the house of God. I pray, O Lord, today, God, as we look into your word, Lord, let it become alive, Lord Jesus, and let it become applicable, Lord Jesus, to our individual lives. Lord, I pray, O God, this evening, Jesus, you're able to lead us and guide us, instruct us, God, and will not fail to thank you and praise you in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen to the church. Say amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Come this Sunday. Bishop is going to be speaking to you all. Amen. And ministering the word of the Lord. So you want to come. Amen. And be a part of that and pray for us as we go and uh, minister up in, in Warsaw, Indiana for a 10 years. And the Lord has done a lot in 10 years. Still had an outhouse to use for bathrooms. But God has done some tremendous things and they've done additions and stuff. And uh, so we're excited to be a part of their celebration of 10 years. Years ago, around the year 2003, uh, at Because of the Times, which is annually held in Alexander, uh, Louisiana, Pastor Wayne Huntley preached a message that was entitled The Temptation of This Time. You can still find that on YouTube. Uh, because the Times has a actual channel, and you can listen to all of the preaching from t- because of the Times years gone by. But Pastor Huntley preached that message, the temptation of this time, and he postulated that the temptation of this time was to be common, was to be ordinary, or if you will, uh, might even call it mediocre. Uh, as his text, he used First Corinthians ten and verse number thirteen where it states a phrase in there, this, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. And uh, over time, as individuals, each of us individually, and I've noticed sometimes collectively, even as a church, not just our church, but other churches, we at times can mindlessly settle on our laurels, as the statement is, or we can get lazy. We can get lazy. Uh, We may... We may uh, uh, fall to minimizing our, our efforts because, and you've heard me state this before, it's easy to get into the it's just us mentality. 
and to minimize efforts as a result of it's just us. Uh, but that mentality can also deceive us into, if you will, get an attitude that we don't care as much as we used to care. And so other times we can fall into that place of, of uh, settling in our laurels, so to speak, when we can't draw any direct lines of impact to our efforts, meaning that we're putting forth effort, but we can't draw any direct line where there was any uh, impact or effect or uh, something perhaps positive, if you will, that happened as a result of our efforts. And then as a result of that, we may just become somewhat dismissive and think, well, it really doesn't matter than what we do. It doesn't matter what we do or how we do it, you know, because there's nothing that's, that's uh, coming out of or benefiting from or any results from what we are doing. And so sometimes if you can't draw a direct line, it will make you settle down, say, who cares? Right? Have you ever did that just in your real personal job? It's like, well, they don't care anyway. Huh? And, and you, can, you can get that same type of attitude within the body, within the church, if we don't watch ourselves. And so, although any of us can fall prey to that, and we probably all do at some time and to some degree uh, throughout our life of being a Christian and throughout the life of the church uh, at one time or another, what we really need to do, though, at those times is to go on the defense to try to ward off that type of mentality, that type of thinking of it's just us, it doesn't matter anyway uh, type of situation and type of practice. Charles Swindoll wrote a book in excess of 30 years ago uh, that was entitled Living Above the Level of Mediocrity. And what it did was encourage people to fight being sucked, if you will, into the vortex of commonness or being nonchalant, just nonchalant with life, being nonchalant with the Lord and with our experience with the Lord. What he did really was to encourage a commitment to a spirit of excellence in everything that we do, even within the church, even within our service to the Lord and our Christian life lived for the Lord. Because to be common is to be like the majority. To be common is to be like the majority. To be common is to have no properties of distinction that sets you apart from anybody else. It's to have no qualities that set you aside from the rest of the world. The Bible says in Exodus 30 and verse 31, I'm going to be reading a few phrases from the Living Bible, but it'll be before you in the King James. Exodus 30, 31 and 32. I'm not reading the entire verses, just a couple of phrases here. He says... My holy anointing oil, it must never be poured upon an ordinary person. And you shall never make any of it yourselves. And speaking of the holy anointing oil, it had particular ingredients. So many of those uh, pounds, if you will, or measurement of those ingredients that were mixed together. And its sole use was for the anointing of the tabernacle and of the priest and those that were involved in that capacity. And so it says here that it would never be poured upon the ordinary person and that you would never make any of it yourself. In other words, meaning this, that the holy anointing oil, if it was then indeed found upon someone, it meant that they were not ordinary. Anointed people then were not ordinary people. Or said differently, anointed people were, as our series title is, were nothing ordinary. And so whenever we succumb to notions and I know how this can be. Sometimes it's uh, the peer pressure of our society or others or family. But whenever we succumb to the notions of fitting in, you ever heard that? Succumb to the notions of fitting in. You know, no one likes to feel out of place. 
But whenever we succumb to the notions of fitting in uh, to our world, that lends to commonness, to just being ordinary. In the Old Testament, there was a mark that God required to be placed upon his people, the Hebrews. It was the mark of circumcision upon the males that set them aside as the Hebrew people from all the other people of their time, from all the other nations of their time. Insomuch that the Bible records that whenever Pharaoh's daughter went down to the river to wash herself and that she discovered that baby Moses that was kept for three months in his mom and dad's house, but his mom had made him a basket of bulrushes, set him inside of there, still being an infant, and placed him in the river. The Bible says when Pharaoh's daughter went down there, she found Moses in that basket of bulrushes and she even hollered out and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Almost even indicating, even at a young age, amen, as it would be, that there was something different from this child than the other children that she knew of, than an Egyptian. Amen. There was some means of distinction for this boy. The Bible says in Leviticus 18, verses 1 through 3, it states these words, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and saying to them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwell, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. And so the Lord is plainly speaking here. I brought you out of Egypt. That's where you did dwell, but you did not do like them. I'm taking you through the wilderness and to Canaan and where I take you to in the land of Canaan where the people they are, I'm going to bring you to. He says, and you will not do like them. You will not walk in their ordinances. In other words, in another place of Leviticus, the Lord told them that they shouldn't walk in the manners of the nation. Amen. Which he had cast out before them, which he was speaking of Canaan. You're not going to walk in the manners of the nation that I have cast out before you. And what the Lord's plea was, was then basically in the Old Testament is that they were not to be ordinary. They were not to be common. They were not to be like, quote unquote, everyone else. And that plea of the Lord in the Old Testament travels from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. It echoes throughout Scripture this plea of not being common. That's the reason why the Apostle Paul in the New Testament told the members at the church at Ephesus, he spoke to them, he said, going forward, Basically, now that you have been uh, washed with the blood, you have received the spirit, you have repented, you're a part of the church going forward. He said, you should not walk as other Gentiles walk. You know what he's telling them? You're not just going to be a common Gentile. You're not going to be ordinary. His plea for them was not to be common. Amen. Someone say amen. And so it's in the Old Testament. It goes all the way through Scripture, even to the New Testament. There is a plea for God's people. Not to be common, to be nothing ordinary. Amen? Not just to be the run of the mill. All right? According to Charles Swindoll, he said that the ability to stay separated from others is attributed to respecting your final voice of authority. He told of his days of being in the Marines and how his company relatively quickly learned the voice of their drill instructor in the Marines. And he states these words. He says, as a matter of fact, he said, we learned to distinguish his voice from the many others 
on the drill field. He said, as hard as it may be for you to believe, we could follow his directions without difficulty on a field full of a dozen or more drill instructors. He said, each one, they're barking out commands, verbal orders to their Marines out there on the field. He said, it took time, but within a few weeks, he said, each company of young Marines knew their quote-unquote master's voice. And when another shouted his instructions, he said, we deliberately ignored the order. But when ours gave the order, we moved instantly. What separated one company from another company is that they knew the final voice of authority for their lives. They didn't march to the beat of the same drum as everybody else because they weren't to be ordinary. They had a drill instructor that was different from the other drill instructors. His orders and commands varied from the other orders and commands that was being shouted on the same field. Someone say amen. And so when we start to view this, even with the mindset of Scripture, and you think about your God, your DI, your drill instructor tonight, when you start to think about your God, your God holds this position in this world, in this cosmos that we have today. He holds the position that there is no other God. And he has a reputation, according to Isaiah, that there is none like him. That makes him unique. That makes him nothing ordinary. That makes him not common. Right? Amen. Because there's not another like him. Uh, he, there is no other God. And so whenever you think about that, that, that pretty much eliminates God then from being defined as ordinary or defined as common. And if that's the case, it doesn't take us long to read in the New Testament scripture that says we, speaking of us, that our lives is changed into the same image. Amen. We behold the glory of the Lord, I think it is that Paul said, and we are changed into the same image. So it's no surprise then that as the church, as Christians, we should further the nothing ordinary, amen, type of, of vein in our life because we have subjected ourselves to a God, amen, that there's none like, there is no other God. He's not ordinary. He's not common. So it goes to serve and reason. He'll have a people that's not common and that's nothing ordinary. Amen. If we can say tonight that's sanctified, set apart, amen? As a matter of fact, blending in to our surroundings is a mistake. Furthermore, it is an outright attack against our God. Because remember in the Old Testament, Israel got to a place, Samuel was, was the prop of the hour, Amen. He was the prophet of the hour. He's getting old though. Israel comes to Samuel and their plea was this. Samuel, we want to have a king. And this is the verbiage. We want to have a king like all the other nations around us. You know what, that's, you know what they're saying when they say that? We want a king like everybody else. That's saying we want to be ordinary. We want to be common. We want to blend in. We want to be like every other nation. That's their plea. So Israel had this desire, and the Lord plainly told Samuel, amen, that basically their desire to be common was not so much them rejecting Samuel as a prophet, but more so they were rejecting God as their God and his rule and reign in their life. 
The Bible says in 1 Samuel 8 and verse number 5, And said unto him, Behold, thou art old. This is speaking of Samuel. Behold, thou art old, Samuel, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now here's Israel saying, Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. We're not satisfied with being different. We're not satisfied with being uncommon. All right? We, 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 we want to be common. We want to be ordinary. We want to blend in. And the Lord said to Samuel, hearken unto the voice, verse number 7, Samuel, 1 Samuel 8 and 7, and the Lord said to Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee. God wants him to know. He said, they're not rejecting you, but they've rejected me. They've rejected God, that I should not reign over them. They want, a, they want a king. They want a natural, earthly, flesh and blood king like everybody else. Because he tells them. If you read 1 Samuel chapter 8, he tells Samuel. And he tells the people, I'm your God. I'm your king. You've not been kingless. No, it might not be one that you in touch and feel with your natural hands. He says, but I've been your king, God said. I, I've been your ruler. I've been your reigner. Folks, one of the ways... That we confront, because this is my lesson tonight, one of the ways that we confront commonness is by how we think. Someone say amen. Years ago, there was a book that was released, and this has been years ago, uh, by Norman Vincent Peale called The Power of Positive Thinking. Some people may remember it. You may have even read it. It was like all the rave back in the day. It garnered quite a following in its time. But its premise was basically this, that the way that we think affects who we are. Now, some people think Mr. Peel was just largely intelligent for thinking about that, but what Mr. Peel really did was stumble upon, in part, a biblical principle which is a whole lot older than his book that's found in the book of Proverbs 23 and verse number 7. Oftentimes you'll see it stated as, for as a man thinketh, so is he, but the Bible just calls it, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That how we think and how we consider ourselves a lot of times influences who we are. Uh, have you ever been fearful or unconfident about something and you approached it with that fear? You approached it with that lack of confidence and you laid an egg. Yeah, you think that's funny. There's a few times that whenever we tra well, traveled and probably since I've been pastor that I've approached the pulpit unconfident. And the scrambled eggs was left on the platform. Laid an egg. Because I had that mentality. There was a man by the name of Carl uh, Walinda. He was a great tightrope artist. He died in Puerto Rico after he suffered from a 75-foot fall from a tightrope. On one occasion, he said, being on a tightrope is living. He said, but everything else is waiting. And so those words to me, just on the surface, sound like someone that's living a nothing ordinary type of life. All right, not just everybody's a tightrope walker. I mean, you got to have some type of, I don't think they can be necessarily just labeled as common, you know. I don't know if we have any organizations or societies in the city of Mount Carmel where all the tightrope walkers get together, you know, talk about tightrope. You know, it's kind of unique. It's not ordinary. So he lived, this gentleman, Carl, lived for the thrill of the moment. But his wife, his wife, she was also an aerialist. She, she did things also that was high above in the air had some interesting observations concerning what really happened to her husband, Carl, in his fateful fall, his fateful 75-foot fall. She said, all Carl thought about for three straight months prior to walking across the type rope was falling. She said it was the first time he ever thought about that. 
She said, it seemed to me that he put all of his energies into not falling rather than just walking the tightrope. She says he walked the tightrope with fear of falling in his mind. And his thinking created his feeling of insecurity that, you know what, I might fall. And she says, we know what happened. Since he poured all of his energy into not falling, that's exactly what happened to him. He fell because he had in the mindset for three solid months, I might fall. I might fall. I could fall. I'm going to fall. And it created him to be uncertain about himself that he'd been certain the other thousand times to walk the tightrope. Man, I can do this confident, go forward. But in the back of his mind, when he got on it this time, you know what? I might fall. Amen. And it prompted perhaps his fall. Can I tell you tonight that in the church, in the realm of Christianity, that the enemy of our soul combats our minds very vigorously. Because as Proverbs said, as he thinketh, right, so is he. As he thinketh, or as a man or a woman thinketh, so is he. And so he's going to come and combat the mind. Because if he can toy with your thinking, he has toyed with you. If, if, he, can, if he can somehow uh, change a mode or a pattern of how you think, then he can influence you as an individual. And so whenever, whenever our thought pattern, if, you know, as according to Scripture, to Proverbs, if our thought pattern, it molds our behavior or molds who we are, then rest assured that your Satan, Slufa, whatever you want to call him, is going to zero in on your mind. And oftentimes the way in which Satan does this, he comes and he starts to tell us what we cannot do. Who do you think you are? Right? Who do you think you are? It, sometimes the enemy wants to persuade us that we need to blend in. That we can't be different. We can't rise to a level above the masses. And so he zeroes in on our minds, telling us what we can't do. Or maybe he comes to you and says, who are you really trying to? Who are you kidding? Hmm. Who are you kidding? Whenever you're talking about just living your life for the Lord. He, what he's trying to do is keep you grounded. He wants you to remain ordinary. He wants you to remain common. He wants you to betray by your life the one who has called you out. Hallelujah. And he'll do so by dealing with your mind. Don't you know that Satan had a heyday? Whenever the Lord spoke to Simon the first time and instead of calling him Simon, this man that was always, you know, wavering here and there and impulsive, the first time he didn't call him Simon, but he called him Peter, which meant a stone or rock, which is something that's stable and resolute. Do you know how much that upset the enemy to think that the Lord's going to talk to this wavering Simon and call him something that's stable? <laughs> he thought, I'm going to work on this guy's mind. And whenever we look at Calvary, folks, in the New Testament Scripture, Calvary, in essence, is nothing more but a battle for the mind. It's a battle for the mind. At Calvary or at Golgotha, which is interpreted, Scripture says, the place of the skull. Hmm? 
that place where Christ gave up the ghost for our redemption and our healing and all the myriad other things that he gave up for, if you'll remember, as it's been explained before, that cross, amen, was impaled into that hill at Golgotha, impaled into that hill at Calvary. And if people will avail themselves of Calvary, the cross, if you will, pierced the place of the skull. Amen. The cross pierced the place of where the mind is at Calvary. For what purpose? To bring victory to humanity. You do not have to be pushed around in your thought patterns, which the enemy is zero in on, because he wants you to remain just common and ordinary. Now think of it for a moment. In the Old Testament, God spoke of the nation of Israel in Exodus 19 and 5. He spoke of them as his peculiar treasure. That's the, that's the exact words. Peculiar treasure. Something peculiar is different. Something peculiar, you say, well, that's peculiar. What are you saying? Well, that's kind of set aside from the rest. That's nothing ordinary. He said, Israel is my peculiar treasure. And then when we get in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul speaks of the New Testament church as his peculiar people. Hallelujah. Nothing ordinary. Nothing common. But a people that's described as peculiar. Can I tell you, though, I'm sounding the alarm tonight, that if you are a peculiar people and a nothing ordinary people, you better be prepared to face some battles that are nothing ordinary as well. And peculiar as well. Amen. Amen. Some people even sometimes, and we know it rains on the just and the just, and, and there's people things that people face in the world that we face in the church, but there is sometimes a raised ante of what we face in the church because you are nothing common and you're nothing ordinary. And so there's nothing ordinary battles and not 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 to common battles that come your way because they don't just deal, amen, with flesh and blood and humanity and things of that nature. We are dealing in the realm of spiritual things. Amen. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought, to the obedience of Christ. Ephesians 6, whenever it lists the whole armor of God that we should put on. Amen. And listen, that's something that we do. He said in Ephesians 6, put on. He admonished us. He's not dressing us with that in the morning. We got to put that on. That's something that we do. That's our responsibility. He said, put on. But whenever he goes through there in Ephesians 6 and verse number 12, somewhere around, he tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not warring after the flesh. This is not human being against human being. This is not flesh after flesh. But we are not warring after flesh, but we are warring after spiritual matters. Spiritual matters in order to maintain a nothing ordinary status. To the Holy Ghost. See, there are strongholds, according to 2 Corinthians 10, there are strongholds to pull down, the Bible says. 
Our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And Paul seems to make us a link here then in the next verse, number five, what those strongholds are. He says he links those strongholds to imaginations and our thoughts. Amen. Our thoughts. In other words, what's going on in our minds? Hallelujah. See, Satan's dealings and influence upon the minds have always been his command post. Listen to me. It's always been his command post. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4. I'm just reading a few phrases here. But the Bible says, the God of this world. It's relaying, it's, 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 it's making a notion toward Satan. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Command central for Satan was our minds before we ever even believed. You listening to me? Command central for Satan, his central place of intelligence was your mind, even before you ever believed. He blinded the minds of them which believe not before they even believe. So listen to me. For someone to find the Lord and to adopt the mind of Christ for their life, that alone is an affront to Satan because he has lost his place, his command center. The moment that you get salvation in your life and you adopt the mind of Christ, what was his command post now becomes the Lord's command post, and that's the reason he's attacking you. He's trying to pull you back down to ordinary, common living. Common living is Satan in the command post of the mind. Ordinary living is Satan influence the thoughts and, and behavior for that matter because he's affecting the mind. But a peculiar, nothing, ordinary, uncommon, if you will, type of living is Christ, that mind of Christ Jesus being in our mind and him directing our thoughts and therefore directing our behavior and our actions and the way that we live. So our success to be a nothing ordinary is then having no ordinary thoughts too. That's why Paul Right into the church at Rome, he emphasizes and says in Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And so we got to equip our minds to think differently from when we were common. We got to equip our minds to think differently. From when we were ordinary. And so Philippians 2.5 is there where Paul said. Let this mind be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus. Everybody say let. There is a very operative word here again. He's not forcing his mind upon you. But you got to allow it to come. Let. My boy says. Whenever it snowed the other day. He's played outside three hours in that. Code frigid stuff. One hour and then two hour in another setting. You know, you're going to let me go outside. He's looking for allowance. He's looking for the LK. Amen. Whenever you let a mind be in you, you're allowing it. Could I even say it like this? You're inviting it. Hallelujah. Amen. So whenever we say the word let, it indicates that we have control of the situation. 
Can I tell you that? Huh? You've got control of what's going on in your mind. You don't have to live ordinary and let the same thoughts that used to come always still come. You don't have to be common. You can have an uncommon mindset, a peculiar mindset. You have control over that. Let this mind be on you. Oh, yes. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. So you either allow or you don't allow. You either say, come on, or you say, mm. stop right there. Amen. And here, listen to me tonight. And I know this is maybe just real practical here, but a very practical way to equip our minds. This is very practical. Good old practicalities. A very practical way to combat or equip our minds is by reading the word of the Lord. And if you can... Committing some of that to memory. Amen. I remember many of you, some that are here to know this, but whenever I was a young man and I was driving back and forth to Evansville, commuting back and forth uh, to college there, and I was battling some physical health issues uh, at that time, and I had some certain episodes in my body took place back and forth, and that commute scared me. really did scare me. It put a fear in me, a fear in so much that I was fearful then. I was kind of like the tightrope walker. I was afraid to get in the car and drive to Evansville. And things would happen. Blood pressure would rise. Heart would start palpitating very hard in my chest. I'd pull over to the side of the road. I mean, it was just all kinds of just craziness. Um, but as a result of that, living in fear, Bishop, I remember I took time then one day and I wrote down several, several scriptures that talked about fear. God have not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. I wrote down a whole eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And I think part of the back of fear scriptures to combat fear. And so what I started to do in my daily amen time with the Lord is I would pray those fear scriptures. I pray them. I pray them because that's what I was dealing with fear. My mind was being pulled down to the ordinary. And I would pray those scriptures and pray those scriptures until after a while, you know, I climbed out of that pit of constantly being afraid and fearful about the health of my body. And here I am still standing yet today. You understand what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is I, I had to let that mind get in me. I had to let that. If, if I just thought about being afraid and concentrated on that, that would totally consume my mind, my thought process, and may even give pseudo-symptoms, false symptoms in my body just because of fear. I'm guarantee you, as, as looking back in retrospect, I can tell you right now tonight that some of the episodes that I had going to college were prompted by fear. Amen. Because I thought it was going to happen. Your mind is a very powerful thing. Scientifically proven. Very powerful thing. And so whenever I started, though, putting those scriptures in my mind, praying those scriptures out loud, amen, I still have that paper, I think, in some Bible over in my office still yet today where I did that. That helped me come out of that. Let me go a little step further because what, what are you doing, Brother McGee? I, I'm trying. I'm trying. See, the word of God, there's none like it. It's not ordinary. It's peculiar. I'm getting the uncommon in my mind because I'm an uncommon person. I serve an uncommon God. All of this is under the menu of nothing ordinary. And so I'm putting all this in here. Let me suggest a little step more to you. Find you some scriptures to pray that combat whatever you're dealing with. They're in your Bible, I guarantee you. 
Find you some scriptures to pray, that combat, whatever you're, you're dealing with. Try to memorize them if you can. Amen. So, so while you're struggling with ordinary living, the, the, Satan's trying to, through your mind and your thoughts, pull you back down to ordinary living. You can pray those scriptures, speak those scriptures. And a very good thing Bishop taught us years ago is insert your own name in those scriptures. Huh? Instead of just saying, greater is he that's within me, say, greater is he that's within Paul McGee than he that's within the world. That there's no weapon formed against Paul McGee that shall prosper. That when the enemy comes in like a flood toward Paul McGee, the Spirit of the Lord will appraise a standard against him. Oh, yes. Make it personal. Make it personal. Amen. Now, let me tell you something. Here's the thing about being nothing ordinary. Being, being nothing ordinary will draw attention. As a matter of fact, anything that's out of the norm kind of sticks out. Many times it gets even prejudged because it contrasts everything else around it. As a matter of fact, that's why certain aspects of the church and maybe even certain aspects of your life are misunderstood. Because it's nothing ordinary. It's not that you're weird. Some of you may be, but it's not that you're weird. Or that we're, 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 we're doing something that's cumbersome. No. But it's that we are different from other things in our society. And that fosters many times misunderstandings for those that are common. For those that are ordinary. Because for them, it's just status quo. For them, it's the same old, same old. And if we were just the same old, same old, ordinary status quo, no one would even bat an eye. But because of nothing ordinary, woohoo, attention. The Bible says in John 18 and verse 36, this is Jesus. This is, this is portraying Jesus here in the judgment hall of Pilate. The Bible states these words, John 18, verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Folks, this was more than Jesus saying that his kingdom wasn't located in the world. It was also proclaiming that his kingdom wasn't like the other worldly kingdoms. It's different. It's peculiar. If I'd say like this, Jesus was letting Pilate know that his kingdom, Jesus' kingdom was not, everybody say of, was not of this world. You know what that means? That word of is very important. It meant that Jesus' kingdom wasn't produced by the world. It wasn't cloned by the world. His kingdom, amen, the world wasn't its origin. <laughs> The world wasn't its source. Folks, we are of a different world. We are of a different culture. Someone say amen. If I tell you today, Jesus was saying, I have a nothing ordinary type of kingdom that has a nothing ordinary type of source that we've already discovered, being God, who there's none like, none beside. Amen. And so it would be interesting then, or proper to think, I think, tonight then, that it's not strange to think that this nothing ordinary kingdom is made up of nothing ordinary people. 
But, as Charles Swindoll says, he says, but being different is costly. Especially when most are satisfied to blend in with the majority. Nothing ordinary. That's a series talking about combating commonness. Saul in the Old Testament was anointed king. And so he had, by virtue of becoming king, that holy anointing, that oil, oil was poured upon his head. Uh, he had the indication of being set aside from everybody else with his kingship, kingly role. But the trial of his status of being king was whenever... He had to start counting the costs for the ordinary or the nothing ordinary position that he now had. The Bible says in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 13, that there was a particular time that Samuel told him, I think it was to go to Gilgal. Go to Gilgal. Saul, wait for me there. When I get there, we will offer the peace offerings. I will offer the peace offerings and the burnt offerings. Saul is getting somewhat impatient and waiting on Samuel. He thinks he isn't going to show up as promised. The Bible says that Saul offered the offerings unto the Lord, both the peace offerings and the burnt offerings unto the Lord. And this is the verbiage of Scripture in 1 Samuel 13, 11. He offered them unto the Lord because the people began to scatter from him. They began to scatter from him. Now listen, nothing ordinary means being like the Lord. It was nothing ordinary. Nothing ordinary does not mean acting like some maverick on some disobedient mission like Saul was doing. Remember, remember our little story with the Marines. You need that final voice of authority in your life to help give you the distinguishment. And the final voice, and let me say this, the final voice of authority can't be your own. Final voice of authority can't be your own. If your decisions and actions and thought processes are dictated by the world or even by yourself, you'll be marching to the beat of the same drum that everybody else is marching by. Or, as Paul said in the New Testament, you can walk not as other Gentiles walk uh-huh, and be nothing ordinary. Another case in point in the New Testament scripture, remember the story of Herod and John the Baptist and Herodias and her daughter. When the daughter, the Bible says, of the said Herodias asked for the head of John the Baptist uh, in a charger, a silver charger. The Bible says that King Herod was exceeding sorry. Sorry. In other words, he didn't really want to go through with this. Yet, he proceeded in part because of the people. The lords that he had invited to this, this dinner and celebration, the high captains, these are the people that were their high captains and chief estates of Galilee were all gathered together there in Mark 6, 21. All these people had heard his oath that he spoke to the daughter of Herodias. Ask whatever you want to half the kingdom, I'll give it to you. And whenever she come back and said, John the Baptist's head, he's exceeding sorry. He really doesn't want to do it, but since the people, what's he doing? He's being sucked down to ordinary. He's just being sucked down to common. And so in order to save face, save face and reputation, he would deny, he would deny going with his feelings that this is the wrong thing to do. I'm exceeding sorry. He would deny all that 
And he would allow John the Baptist's head to be cut off. Why? Because otherwise, because of the people, it's going to cost me too much to be different. It's going to cost me too much to be nothing ordinary. In other words, it was less pricey to be ordinary and remain common. Just to go along with the flow of the majority. It was easier to do. See, the Bible says, another episode of New Testament Scripture, Pilate, Jesus before him, before judgment, before Pilate. The Bible says plainly that Pilate found no fault with Jesus Christ. Found no fault with Jesus Christ. He even expressed that to the people. I find no fault with this man. Leading up to the crucifixion, I find no fault with this man. He could pin no evil on the Lord. But because the people in the crowd became more expressive in desiring to crucify him, the Bible's end note on Pilate is this, is that Pilate released Bersabbas, which was a prisoner. He released Bersabbas, who is a malefactor, and delivered Jesus to the people to be crucified. Why? To content them. Suck down to ordinary. Suck down to common. Look at these verses of Scripture. Luke 14 and verse number 25. And there went... Great multitudes with him. Speaking of Jesus Christ, they went with him. He turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, the Lord's about ready to winnow some wheat right here. <laughs> He's right ready to thin it out. Multitudes. He turned unto them and said, If any man come to me and hate not his father, his mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple." And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So here's a great multitude with the Lord. He's about ready to winnow out the crowd because sometimes great multitudes went with the Lord because they just want to be there for the miracle. And so the Lord's calling them from common to uncommon. He's calling them from ordinary to nothing ordinary. It's like, what will you do when there isn't a miracle? You want to come and follow me? He says, then this is what happens. Because the masses of the people were ordinary. The, the multitudes of the people were just common. But he's calling them to a commitment of nothing ordinary. He's calling them to a commitment of excellence. Now listen to me. He's not calling them, and I know we see the word hate, and we, you know, we... Uh, uh, relate that in our English language. Oh, hate, I got to hate my mom and dad. He's not calling them to have some type of malicious hatred, amen, toward their family. But what he is trying to emphasize is a strong commitment to himself in doing that. In other words, he didn't want to have any competition with loyalty. He wanted to be number one. It was a matter of priorities, really, that he's addressing right here. See, Commitment to nothing ordinary cost everything and nothing at the same time. See, this is, this is the backward, upside-down kingdom of God. Being committed to nothing ordinary is going to cost you everything and nothing at the same time. Look at Luke 9 and verse 24. You've heard these verses before. But this is kind of the upside-down, backward kingdom of God. This, if you read some things, there's some things sometimes the Lord says that you like scratch your head. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Out your pen, write that down, and look at it two or three times, look at it backwards. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Say what? <laughs> Say what? 
And you all look at me sometimes because you think I say stuff weird. <laughs> I didn't understand, Brother McGee. Well, there's some things in Scripture the Lord said. So I'm like, say what? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Save your life and you lose it. Lose your life and you save it. <laughs> Lord needs to go see counselors. <laughs> but in verse 33 of Luke 14, whenever Jesus is talking to the multitudes, you're going to have to, you have to hate all these people or, or put them in the right pecking order of loyalty or you can't be my disciple. You know, bear your cross, come after me, you cannot be my disciple. In verse 33 of Luke 14, Jesus challenges them to forsake all they have or they cannot be his disciples. As a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons why he states to them he wants them to bear their cross. Because listen, we're looking at this through the eyes of first century culture and people. In the first century, if a man was seen carrying his own cross, it was clear to everyone that that man is on his way to die. First century scripture, if a man and, and world, if a man's carrying his own cross, he's on his way to die. Someone say amen. So it was a perfect, what the Lord's using here is a perfect word picture. It's a perfect word picture that the Lord is using here for those that would be his disciples, those that would be nothing ordinary, those that would be uncommon, for them to have a total commitment to him, a total commitment to the nothing ordinary God and be a nothing ordinary person, amen, in order to rely upon that voice and allow him to be the final authority in their life. He said, you take up your cross because that will mean you're going to die. You're your voice doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. Oh, yes. It was the epitome, if you will, of, of, of that contradictory, it would seem, statement that if you lose your life, you'll save it. Amen. <laughs> now stand with me. Nothing ordinary. You got to combat the commonness of thinking. The way it sets us aside, we've we got to pick up the cross. We've we got to combat it. Legend has it, and I'm closing with this, legend has it that a man was lost in a desert just dying for a drink of water. He stumbled upon the old shack, a ramshackled, windowless, roofless, weather-beaten, old, just horrible-looking shack. He looked about the place, and he found... He found a little shade from the heat there in the desert sun. He glanced around. He saw a pump about 15 feet away from him, an old, rusty water pump. He stumbled over to it. He grabbed the handle. He began to pump up and down, up and down. Nothing came out. Disappointed, he staggered back. He noticed off to the side an old jug. He looked at it. He wiped the dust of the desert sand off of it. And he read a message that said, you have to prime the pump with all the water in this jug, my friend. P.S. Be sure you fill the jug again before you leave. He popped the cork, Brother Terry, off that jug, and sure enough, there was water in the jug. It was almost full of water, and suddenly he was faced with a dilemma and decision. If he drank the water, he could live. But if he poured all the water in the rusty old pump, Maybe it would yield fresh, cool water from deep down in the well. 
all the water perhaps that he would want. So he began to study both possibilities. What should I do? Pour it into the old pump, take a chance on fresh, cool water, or drink what was in the old jug. Just ignore the message. Should I waste all the water on the hopes of these flimsy little instructions that's been covered up by dust? No telling how long they've even been there. So reluctantly, the man out in the desert, he poured all the water into the pump. Then he grabbed the handle, began to pump, Brother Terry. Squeak, squeak, squeak. Still, nothing came out. Squeak, squeak, squeak. And a little bit began to dribble out. Then that small little stream finally come in a gushing stream from the pump. And to his relief, he had fresh, cool water. Amen. And he began to drink that water as it poured out of that rusty old pump. He filled the jug and he drank it. He filled the jug again and he drank it. Then he filled the jug another time just to make sure it was going to be full for the next traveler. He filled it up to the top, put the cork back on, and he added this little note to the note that was there. He said, believe me, it really works. He says, you have to give it all away before you can get anything back. Now, living like that is nothing ordinary. But then again, would have doing anything else for that man even been living? He's trying to call us to a level of nothing ordinary living in our Christian life. And we are times... By, by, by the deeds of the adversary and we, 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 we give in to it and we are sucked and pulled back down just to ordinary life. Just, just to the mundane and the status quo. Just to the fold in our arm over the back of the pew. and the, Just the normal, ordinary way of living. But God, that, that, that nothing ordinary God that has a nothing ordinary word. That has what he said was a peculiar people. Amen. Wants us to live at the level, amen, that he has called us to. And it is nothing ordinary. You're meant to be eagles to soar. You're not to be some chicken hawk grubbing for worms on the ground. You're, you're supposed to be soaring. You're nothing ordinary type of people. And you need to combat those type of things that come into your mind. Don't let the enemy regain, if you will, his center of, uh, of command post of your mind. Let that mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If we will just bow our heads here this evening. Father, I come to you tonight. God, we need you, Lord Jesus, in this place. I pray, oh God, Israel, Lord, was your peculiar treasure, Lord, the Old Testament, your church is your peculiar people in the New Testament, God, and you have not, Lord, grown, Lord Jesus, Lord, different, God, from who you were in the Old Testament or the New Testament. You are still calling for a people. God, of a classification, Lord Jesus, of nothing ordinary. Help us, God, to confront and combat, Lord, the commonest, Lord, of our times, the commonest of our generation. It is not, Lord, upon our 
our shoulders to be status quo or to blend in or God to give in to the majority voice of the masses I pray oh God today we must be called out set apart sanctified I pray oh Lord today for we Lord are looking to inherit a kingdom that is not of this world this world is not its source is not its place of origin I pray oh God today help us to live our lives in accordance Lord God to the final voice of authority that's in our life help us distinguish it God from every other voice God that is sounding from every other Lord even wind of doctrine that is blowing I pray oh Lord today help us God to be the church Lord Jesus that you would have us to be nothing ordinary in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.